0: How's it going, friends? So this is... Well, my name is John, and I was trained as a pastor, and this is one of the ways I'm trying to use that education in a good way. So here we go. This is The Book of How, Part 5. You're just now coming into the last in a series on the Book of Lamentations from the Old Testament. And the reason why this series is called The Book of How is because The actual title of the book in Hebrew is the word how. So why not, in the midst of this coronavirus season and everybody having to do stay-at-home stuff, why not ask that glorious question of how, right? And the word how is itself a lamentation. How long is this going to go on? How are we supposed to make any good use of this? How is this... How did this come upon us? You know, all of those things. So I thought it was fascinating to be going through this book one chapter at a time, even though it's a very short one and it's often overlooked. And most people only quote the middle chapter, chapter three, and even then only a part of it. Uh, It's been an interesting ride because there's a lot of dense emotion in this book. And I don't know about you, but. The human experience is full of depths of emotion every so often, so why not explore a book that's all about that? Lamentations isn't exactly a theological book. It's not quite one that people quote in in theology courses or when they frequently talk about God, probably because it's so raw. Most people prefer to quote Romans or maybe a gospel or two and... They just kind of leave out books like this. But you know what? That's not what we're going to do. That's not what we've been doing. So this one is called The Book of How, Part 5, Prayer, because this is the culminating chapter of the entire book. And it's 22 verses, this final chapter, but it's not in alphabetical order. So what we think probably happened was the the first four chapters were written, And then we kind of think that 5 kind of summarizes all of it. Now, granted, it does have its own unique angle, but this book was written in response, right, to the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of the Israelites into captivity and slavery. So this is a big deal, this book. But there's something you need to know about this chapter in particular. Yes, I think we'll call it prayer, but really, this chapter is about remembering, and that's a unique part of lament, right? That lament is often something that happens after the fact or after the event. You might yourself be even lamenting or grieving something, but you it's a little difficult to, to lament ahead of time. And so this chapter is very much about prayers of remembrance and looking backwards, and the author of this chapter, the poet, is actually praying that God remembers. So we're like, whoa. So let's dive right in. We're going to do chapter five. I'm going to read it straight through, maybe make a comment or two. And then I actually have just a few things to say, and then we'll wrap it up. All right? So get settled. Get ready. Um, yeah, here we go. Chapter five. Verse 1, remember, oh, that's the, f- see, it's the first word of the book, of the chapter. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have we have become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can only be... Be had at a price. Those who pursue us are are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Mm. Slaves rule over us, and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is as hot as an oven. Feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the town of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. So again, this is a lamentation. This is looking back. Things are hard. This is just a a recapping of everything that's happened in all the four previous chapters. Here we go. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. See, there's a remembering of what they've done. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it. The city has been emptied, and so animals are reclaiming it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Oh, Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Thus ends the book of Lamentations. That is a harrowing last four verses of this book. So if you've noticed, there seems to be like a a bit of a bracketing. The very first word in this chapter is remember, Lord. And then the very end of this is how long will you forget us? So this book, or this chapter rather, is obviously another prayer of lament. However, this one takes a unique angle of God, please remember us. Why does it seem like you've forgotten us? Can't you take us back? Like, do you have you just turned away? Do you just forget that we exist? And I feel as though that can be a super legitimate experience of life, correct? And often in church circles or religious communities, you might feel as though you could pray that, and then someone might rebuttal, No, 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 God doesn't forget you. It's like, Yeah, well. My experience in life is that certainly seems as though God has just straight up forgotten me. And so I have to plead to God that God even remembers that I exist. This is in the scriptures. This is in the heart of the Old Testament. This author, the poet here, actually says, God, remember us. Why does it feel like you've forgotten us? Is it because you're so angry with us that you just choose to continue to forget us? It's like, What? This is so unique to this book. It does happen in a few other places, but I feel like this is, in the Old Testament, as direct as it gets. God, why did you forget us? So, what do we do with this book, right? So, in each episode leading up to this, we've been asking what's timely and what's timeless. Okay. Well, what's timely about this chapter is that it's clearly remembering an exact event. The fall of Jerusalem and the exile of the Israelites. Boom. Timely. But it's timeless because no matter where you are in the course of human history, you might at some point come across the experience of feeling forgotten, forgotten, By God, And apparently God is supposed to love you, that God knows even the hairs on your head. But what do you do with the tension of people say that you're known by God, yet it feels like you're forgotten by God. And there's a tension between those two things. Those two experiences are polar opposites, yet how do we hold them both right next to each other? And you have to say the poet here, In chapter 5, they've got some audacity because at least they're taking the time to still try to remind God that they exist. You would think that if someone felt as though God forgot them, that they would just be like, well, all right, I'll forget you too. But how interesting that in having felt like they were forgotten, this person chooses to still plead and pray to God. So everything we think, uh, I was reading a commentary about this. I've got a few things here. Um, first off, it ends on a dark note. The very last verse of the entire book is, uh, verse twenty-two and twenty-one. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Twenty-two. Unless you have. Utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. The end. You see, the book of Lamentations doesn't wrap things up. And if you want to get to the hopeful passages in this situation, you almost have to jump over to Isaiah and read chapters 40 to 55 because that's where the hope happens. But Lamentations isn't about the restoration. It's not about the hope part yet. What's so brilliant about this book is just that it gives credence and validation to the lament before the restoration. And a lot of times in religious communities, we rush to the restoration part. And sometimes in doing that, we diminish the reality or the authenticity or the... Hmm... The roller coaster, I guess, of the actual experience of lament. And you can't really have an authentic restoration service or uh, moment, I guess, unless you've had a legitimate season of lament. <sighs> I mean, obviously, we all wish we didn't have to go through a season of lament, but. We have in um, verses 15 through 19, though, this is, you know what, let me just read some of this commentary for you. This is a commentary I got written by Adele Berlin. Here we go. Mm, It says, the chapter is framed by a call to God to consider or remember and the realization that that God continues to ignore. So ignore, forget, remember, his people. The body of this chapter can best be read as a portrait of occupation and the deprivation, humiliation, and frustration that accompany it. The story that happens in Lamentations is about the breakdown of social, economic, political, and religious structures of Judah. Now that's the timeliness part. But the timelessness is that even today, I mean, honestly, right now, we're kind of experiencing a breakdown of social, economic, political, and maybe even religious structures of today as a result of this current season. Isn't that wild? The disintegration, and I'm continuing, this is further down in the commentary, the disintegration of Judah reaches its pinnacle in verses 15 to 19 with the loss of king and temple, the symbols of nationhood, signaling the political and religious demise of the country Israel. I'm going to keep going because this is good. Yet God endures and the belief in his power persists. The poem calls on God to reinstate his former relationship with Judah, but it ends in disappointment and frustration, for God is still angry with his people and continues to reject them. That's verses 20 to 22. This chapter, like the others before it, does not resolve the problem of how Israel can find comfort after the destruction of Jerusalem it remains for the post-exilic prophets like 2nd Isaiah, that'd be Isaiah chapters 40 through 55, to offer comfort and to assure their listeners that God is ready to take back his people. Mm. So we have here, like I said, there's a timeliness to this book. It was written for a particular people, place, and problem. However, It certainly seems like we have a particular people, place, and problem in our world today that kind of resonates with the smashing down of economic, political, social, and religious spheres of life here and now. So, what do we do with the fact that this book ends completely on a negative note? Well, for good measure, one thing that's cool is... Uh, let me pull up the quote. Uh, it says in this same commentary by Adele Berlin, In Jewish tradition, the custom in public recitation of books like this is to repeat the penultimate or second to last sentence when a book ends on a negative note, as here as and also in Isaiah, Malachi, Ecclesiastes, so as to not conclude on a note of despair. This provides the positive closure that is expected and that is found in most other biblical books. So let me read the very last four verses, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to repeat the second-to-last sentence. Here we go. Or second-to-last, whatever. Verses 19 starts with this. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation Why do you always forget us? Man, that's a heavy line. Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Rewind. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Boom. So even within the Jewish tradition, they did find that, okay, yes, the book ends on a negative note, but let's just go back and quote the most hopeful passage just before that. (laughs) But that tradition actually happens with the numerous books of the Bible. Okay. So we need to try to wrap this up in some sense, okay? So the Book of Lamentations, we've now done all five chapters. We've talked about the timeliness and the timelessness of some of the things that happened. the themes. We've talked about, my goodness, We've talked about mourning and shame. You might have embarrassment or lament because you brought on something for yourself. You might have anger as a result of the degradation that fell. You might be experiencing a sense of having lost home, excuse me, and now you're looking for a home again because you've lost everything. You might feel like, some event in life has completely smashed you down and broken you into pieces. And you might even feel like your most honest prayer at one point might really be, God, please remember me. It feels like you've absolutely forgotten me. Which, let's take just the side moment. Some people might say that it would be improper to pray to God, God, you've forgotten me that some people would let like, uh, an understanding of theology tell someone how to pray and let that theology tell someone to pray inauthentically. Because some people might theologically say, no, 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 God doesn't forget. God knows all. Yeah, but maybe your prayer really should be just experiential, not theological. Maybe you should just be honest about how you experience God. God, it feels like you've just forgotten me. See what I mean? Sometimes theology can get in the way of being um, vulnerable and authentic in your prayer life. Whoa, that's a good sentence. Sometimes theology can get in the way of being vulnerable or authentic in your prayer life. Mm-hmm. I feel like that probably could be talked about for quite a while, but we'll move on. So we've talked about mourning and shame, anger, exile, feeling broken down, being honest in your prayer. We've talked about nostalgia and how it's it's a painful homecoming. It's really difficult to return to a time before the tragedy or the trauma happened, right? It's The, the only way through is... Through, And sometimes the only way we can get through lament is not to rewind to the time before, but to trod through it and be faithful to our own experiences. What else have we said? I'm, I'm honestly looking back at my notes from previous episodes. Hmm. I mean, how lovely is it that it's actually in the tradition that lament has a place? That's wonderful as well. Well, I mean, we've said a number of things, and you can feel free to go back and look at or listen to some previous episodes, but uh, the book of Lamentations is kind of raw. And you know what? It might be possible that some people will not appreciate it. Maybe you don't appreciate it. Because you haven't gone through a mass disappointment or potential trauma. Or maybe you have, and so all of a sudden you realize that this book has been in the Bible the whole time, but no one talked about it. But you know what? That's actually rather consistent with life. Not many people talk about their PTSD inciting moments. Not many people bring up their trauma, or if they do, sometimes they do in a rather unhealthy way. But this is a fascinating book because... It puts together spirituality and trauma. And it puts prayer and God and disappointment and anger and fury and grief and loss and exile and prayers to be remembered by a, forgot, by a forgetting God. You know, it puts all of these things together. And affirms the experience of those things. Now, that might not seem very important to you. But can you imagine having a spiritual text, scriptures, that never affirmed or gave a place or proper place for grief, lament, disappointment, having lost home. Exile, prayers that God remembers you. That uh, could you imagine having a Bible that doesn't affirm fury, that doesn't affirm um, degradation, deprivation, that doesn't encourage you to be honest, that doesn't tell you that it's more important to be authentic than articulate? Can you imagine having a Bible that says, "Don't be"? authentically raw. Just pray what sounds pious and good. So what's the good news here? Well, in some sense, the good news is that there even is a book called Lamentations. There even is a book in the Bible that in the original Hebrew is just titled How how do we get through this? How long is this going to go on? How could God have forgotten me? How can I get over this anger? How can I get over this fury? How long do I have to feel like I don't have a home? You see what I mean? It's actually good news that the Bible affirms the whole spectrum of the human experience and says, this is holy. <clears throat> that's good because we have this book that's raw and it talks about cannibalism it talks about um, starvation talks about dehydration talks about slavery it talks about all of these things in a poetic way and then calls it scripture and it does that because the human Life is a holy experience that needs to be validated. So at bare minimum, give thanks that there even is this weird, uh, awkward book right in the middle of the Bible that affirms the dark sides of life and says that the best way to get through it is to pray it honestly through. So this has been it. This has been chapter five. We're now done with the book of Lamentations, the book of how. I hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully you got something good out of even this episode. Maybe there was a sentence that still is reverberating or resonating with you that was said during this time. So thank you for listening. May grace and peace be with you, and we'll catch you next time. You are lovely. Bye.